Hello, Basement Programmers, and welcome. This is the Basement Programmer Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Moore. The opinions expressed in the Basement Programmer Podcast are those of myself and any guests that I may have, and are not necessarily those of our employers or organizations we may be associated with. Feedback in the Basement Programmer Podcast, including suggestions on things you'd like to hear about, can be emailed to me at tom at basementprogrammer.com. And I'm always on the lookout for people who would like to come on the podcast and talk about anything technology-related. So drop me a line. And now for this episode. Hello, Basement Programmers, and welcome. This is the July episode of the Basement Programmer Podcast, coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. My guest this month is my longtime friend, Pete Johns. Welcome, Pete. Hey, Tom. Can't tell you how good it is to be in your company once more. How are you? Pleasure, uh, as always. So you and I met in 1999 in Abingdon, England. We did, yes. Um, two young men, a few haircuts ago now. <laughs> um, yeah, back then, year 2000 uh, problems were a thing of the future. Yes. And uh, yeah. And you get less hair, and I've got more grey. So yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we were there when the millennium bug failed to bring the world to a halt. Yes, it's um, more of a pump than an uh, explosion. But yeah, yeah. Well, that's because lots of software engineers worked to make it not a problem. <laughs> so, an Irishman, a Scotchman, a Japanese person, an American walk into a pub. Sounds like the start to an offensive joke. Uh, but that was our crew for 10 years. I've got very fond memories of those days, as we've talked about today. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and that pub that we walked into after we all walked out there for the last time, they knocked it down. Yes, <laughs> it's now expensive housing yeah. in the middle of Abingdon. So. Yeah. Here we are on the other side of the planet. Yes. I do think we actually paid the mortgage on that place. I'm convinced <laughs> of that. We so. definitely gave them a fair few pounds over the years. So when I, when I started thinking about the podcast, uh, you know, obviously, I started thinking about tech because that's normally what I talk about. But I had a few other thoughts. Yes, we we met up. Uh, we all met up in 1999, and all of us, well, except for Chige, were recently out of bad relationships. Um, we spent a lot of time hanging out in the pub and being kind of supportive of each other, which, especially 20 years ago, isn't something that guys tended to do a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that we always dealt with our issues in the healthiest of ways, <laughs> um, but we did have a lot of fun together, and you know, I'm grateful that we got to spend that time of our lives together and form the friendships that we did. Hmm. Yeah. So, and they've been they've been going well, yeah, as as strong as they can, considering <laughs> distances and, and things. Uh, we both moved countries several times, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Now, I know looking back on it, uh, you know, my life especially was a bit of a mess at the time, but being able to have that connection with you and Roy and Shige uh, and everything that followed on from that um, really was kind of helping me to get to the point of living again. Um, The interesting thing is that I'm only now... You're only now starting to hear a social thing about guys having that sort of relationship beyond just, you know, the fist bump and, hey, you know, how's it going? Mm. Uh, you know, and sports and, and beer and telling bad jokes. It's, uh, 
Yeah, we can still tell bad jokes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, guilty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I think if anyone had told either of us in 1999 where we've been now, I don't think we would have believed them. Um, no, you know, life doesn't always turn out the way we planned, but we make the best decisions we can with the information and the support we have at the time, and you know, try not to have too many regrets along the way. And you know, I'm glad that our kids are growing up in a a world where there are more strong role models be, beyond the machismo and uh, that we witnessed when we were growing up. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, we see the kindness and thoughtfulness and empathy that among the, the younger generations, and that gives me, gives me a lot of hope for their, their future. Mm. And you've moved all the way across the world, so, you know, that's another big change as well. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, kind of your fault. Um, <laughs> and then I moved back to America. And then you, yep. So, um, you're not a big consumer of social media these days, are, are you? Uh, no. Uh, so, I used to be. Um, I was probably one of the first of my peer group to sign up for any new platform that came out at one point. You know, I was one of the first on. You my... actually got me into LinkedIn. Right, there you go. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I was, you know, an early adopter of MySpace and Bebo and Friends Reunited and LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Google Wave. Remember Google Wave? Google Plus, Instagram. Vaguely, yeah, I, every once in a while I get an email saying I've got an Instagram account that I've <laughs> totally forgotten about. Um, never Google Wave. Google Plus, briefly. I think I signed up and that was about it. Yeah. Um, Oh, there was Google Buzz at one point as well. I think that was the, <laughs> that was like their Twitter killer. Um, and uh, let's be fair, Twitter's doing a good job of killing itself. <laughs> absolutely. You're um, not on Twitter anymore, are you? No, no, no. I deleted my Twitter account. I think that was one of the first ones to go back in twenty twenty one, maybe. So. Um, yeah, either those networks died or, or grew into basically huge marketing machines, and I found them decreasingly interesting and um, increasingly noisy, for want of a better word. It was high noise-to-signal ratio. Um, and then, you know, through the pandemic, um, I yeah, I started to feel less and less engaged with what was going on on social media they do seem to be a lot less social and a bit more yelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of people shouting at each other and telling each other that they were wrong and because they didn't necessarily agree that you know they couldn't be friends anymore, sort of thing. And um, yeah, so like like many things in life, there was no one big reason or root cause for me um, uh, deleting my remaining accounts, but uh, there was a lot of different contributing factors. Um, started deleting stuff and um, didn't regret it. Um, the you know the promise of social media was bringing people together, and what I was seeing was um, quite the opposite. It was a lot more like the XKCD comic where the guy can't go to bed because there's somebody wrong on the internet, <laughs> um, and uh, you know you've got to set them straight. So um, you know there's the, the the old saying about would you rather be right or be happy and yeah. uh, you chose being happy. I chose being happy, and 
yeah, I'd much rather have a conversation like this than a drawn out Twitter thread. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I've, uh, I found that I had a lot more spare time after I deleted my social media accounts and started you know, spending more time with my kids and rather than looking at pictures of other people's kids on Instagram. And, um, <laughs> or food. Yeah, or, or people's coffee, yeah. yeah. Um, or, you know, I can now read a book about science rather than learn about the pros and cons of vaccinations on Facebook. Um, and, uh, you know, I can go out for a run rather than look at Strava and see how fast other people are. So, um, it's, yeah, life's too short to spend staring at a small screen full of opinions and adver advertisements. Oh, and being in tech, you spend your your time looking at small screens anyway. I do spend a reasonable amount of my time staring at small screens. So let's let's talk a little bit about tech. So you, when you and I met, you were a programmer at Sophos, mm. and I was doing. Were you? Was that like one of your first? It was my first job out of uni. Yep. And I was tech support, mm -hmm. so I spent my days banging my head against the table. Mm -hmm. um, where has your career taken you over the past twenty years? <sighs> been a journey um i'll see if i can give you the potted history um so yeah i've enjoyed a really privileged career and one of the beauties of of being someone who loves to program is that you get to um work in a variety of sectors and so i started off as you know working on antivirus software um and i don't think in 1998 99 there was such a term as full stack developer but um i really did get to work on really low-level file driver stuff and also front-end um, GUI design. So that was pretty full stack and um, it was really enjoyable. Um, and then from there I went into mobile telecommunications, cell planning and um, uh, microwave link planning, um, which was excellent because I got to do lots of, um, lots of uh, pretty heavy mathematics and also some um, front-end work. Um, which I enjoyed, but I was never really good at. Um, and I also got my first taste of team leadership um, in that role. Mm -hmm. um, I, it was really funny. I was one of the, the best people at fixing bugs. That was where I used to excel in that particular role. And back in those days, the top performers were rewarded with promotions and given pe pe people, people leadership roles, which is, in hindsight, just a terrible idea. Um, and, um, yeah, I didn't really recognize that at the time that without any management training or any people leadership training, I was a pretty poor, um, uh, people manager, but I, you know, that's what I did. And, um, I moved into the payroll sector next and did more, more of the same, more kind of C++ on windows and team leadership stuff. And, um, one of the cool things working in that payroll company was that I got to spend more time talking with customers, and that's, that was a real revelation, that you know, spending time with your customers and seeing the people who don't have any technical expertise and using your software actually teaches you about how people interact with your systems. And, mm. um, that's been a, a thing that I've carried with me since then. And then uh, I had a conversation with you after you moved out here to, to Perth, and um, I... Um, was looking at coming to work with you. I don't know if you remember, but yes, I actually yeah. had a um, an interview with your manager over MSN Messenger, <laughs> um, and uh, that didn't it, it didn't work out for 
a couple of reasons, but that was the catalyst for me uh, moving uh, to Australia. And um, I ended up not in Perth, but in Melbourne and took the first job I was offered there. Um, After a bit of a trip around Australia in a very dodgy car. Yeah, yeah, we took the beast on the road and um, yeah, we got to see a lot of Australia and I, I still think I've seen more of Australia than most Australians. Um, Probably. Definitely more than I have. I've seen, yeah, I've seen the whole. I lived in Perth for 16 years and you saw more of Perth than I did, so. Yeah, no, I, I love WA. It's great to be back in WA. Um, but yeah, also as I changed hemispheres, I also changed uh, the kind of software that I was working on again and I was working on Linux and um, Unix-like systems for the first time, which I really enjoyed having, you know, used FreeBSD and Red Hat mm -hmm. uh, for hobby projects, but um, it was nice to actually do that stuff professionally. Um, was also leading a team again, um, but I found that I was missing the, the hands-on development work more. Mm. Um, so I ended up changing jobs again, and um, I moved into the financial services sector, um, and I got to work on some proper real-time uh, systems, uh, algorithmic trading and that kind of stuff. And I learned a lot about software development in that role. I learned about things like TDD, test-driven development, and um, automatic, uh, automated acceptance testing, and that really, um, you know, got me excited about programming again. Um, I also got to learn Python, which was um, a beautiful programming language. It's one of the few programming languages that I would describe as beautiful. I also got to learn Perl, which isn't. Um, <laughs> Funny enough, I actually worked in Perl at one company here in Perth for a while, um, and Python has been on my list of languages that I have to learn yeah. for ages. Because um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, that happens in Python. Yeah, I was talking to someone just yesterday who's uh, learning Python at the moment for um, machine learning stuff. Yeah. And he said it was really easy just to get up and... That, that's actually the one of the reasons I was looking at, at Python was mm. like everything in machine learning and like data crunching, mm. you know, data science, stuff like that, it all seems to be uh, done in Python. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a great language. I think you'll, you'll love it. Um, but yeah, I ended up back in another team leadership position, which was a blessing and a curse. And I, you know, I, I loved supporting the developers I worked with, um, but I was also exposed to a lot more of the politics in a multinational financial services company, and I didn't enjoy that so much. Um, and thankfully, I got made redundant from that uh, position, and um, that gave me some time out with a young family and gave me time to think about what my next move might be. Yeah. Um, and I ended up going back into like straight software development uh, without the people management and another change of tech stack. I took my first job in web development with Ruby on Rails. Um, and uh, I remember in my end of, end of probation review, my manager saying, hey, you can teach a, an old dog new tricks. <laughs> um, and... I like to think I showed some of my team a few tricks as well, but um, I absolutely love that role. It was um, it was great to be learning new stuff all the time, and I found myself gravitating towards the kind of DevOps movement and learning more about the operations side of um, 
of technology and you know, learning about infrastructure as code, um, which was pretty uh, exciting time for me. Um, I was never an infrastructure person, but when I combined it with code, I was like, okay, I can, yeah, I can see, I can see how this stuff works now. Um, and you know, I was getting to play with the the tools that the ops people in previous roles used to get to play with, and I, um, I've always enjoyed that kind of those fast feedback cycles, and um, mm. and in a in a web um, environment, that's that's pretty pretty cool to be able to deploy stuff and see really quickly whether your, your your change has been successful or not because you can actually see people interacting with it um going back to that lesson i learned much earlier in my career about spending time with your customers if you can't actually be physically with your customers you can actually see how they're interacting with you your software using observability so um well, and you, you and I kind of started programming in the same same sort of era when it's like do everything on your laptop and do your admin on your laptop and everything is there and you know you can screw things up really bad. Then. Yeah, yeah. And deploy to production and wow, it didn't work. Yeah. It works on my machine. <laughs> yes, yeah, it works on my machine. Well, back up your email because your <laughs> your laptop's going into production. <laughs> yeah. Um where was I going with that? I was going somewhere. Um, yeah, so I ended up um, again finding myself in a people management role because, yeah, you know, it turns out that I actually quite like supporting people and developers, particularly. Um, and uh, thankfully, I was in a better position at that organisation than in previous ones, and I was actually supported in that people management role with good people and culture teams and, and that kind of stuff. So it was much easier to set set the teams up for success. Um, and you know, I really found that I enjoyed having career conversations with people and being able to celebrate when they got promoted and that kind of stuff. Um, and over a period of years at that organisation, I was there for a while, I, you know, shifted my focus away from the tech and onto the people and you know that's where I am um, I get my kicks now is seeing people de um, deliver greater results than I ever could um, and uh, you know these days I'm a manager of managers and that um, that doesn't bother me as much as I thought it might uh, years ago uh, I'm another step away from the tech and I have to scratch that itch in different ways well there's no shortage of you know projects that you can fire up on your laptop and you know, still do for fun. So. 100%. Yeah. Pete's, uh, Pete's one of these nerds that is actually social. Not all of us are antisocial fungus. <sighs> yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I do quite like other humans. They're, they're, <laughs> they're nice occasionally. They, yeah. are, they are nice. Yeah, people are good. Now, I would be totally remiss if I did not miss, uh, mention your lovely wife, Kirsty. Mm -hmm. um, Kirsty is also an engineer, mm -hmm. but in probably one of the most socially impactful areas, I mean, not like us with bits and bites, water here in Australia, mm -hmm. um, which is hugely important. So how is, how is she doing in, in her endeavors? Yeah, pretty good. Um, yeah, we, we moved to Australia at a time where we were in, a Massive drought, drought yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and obviously that that made her skills desirable. But and you know she used to often remind me that she was the real engineer, and in fairness, <laughs> uh, she is. Uh, but 
these days, you know, we both spend much more time in Outlook, Excel, Word, Mural, Miro, video conferencing. So I'm not sure. I guess finally I'm a her equal. But uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's she's thriving in um, in engineering consultancy. Kirsty, uh, always it, my my memories, my vision of her is always she's got this larger than life laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and like super friendly person, like you walk into a room and you know you're just instantly <laughs> friends with her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. So, uh, you've been in tech for ages now, and you've mm-hmm. sort of mentioned this a lot of the the changes you've seen in the industry. Um, some for the better, some for the worse. Yeah. Um... It's uh, it's interesting to kind of reflect on how far we've come, and um, you know I've been fortunate that I've worked for some pretty progressive companies, and um, especially here in Australia, and as an English-speaking, university-educated, straight, white, able-bodied, cisgender male, I've I've had a pretty easy uh, path to where I am. Um, but uh, you know, in those early days. It was the programmers who were working late, late into the night that were considered the heroes. You know, the ones smashing out features at a million yeah. miles an hour and <laughs> squashing bugs. And um, these days, there's a much healthier focus, I think, on teamwork and uh, sustainability. And you know, the heroes are those who ensure that their colleagues don't get paged when they're on call. And you know, the people who leave early to attend their kids' school assemblies. Um, you know, yeah, that was back. I mean, you know, back in the early 90s, that was sort of like, if you're leaving before 14 hours is up, yeah. you're... Half day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm Burnout just, was... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think back to that first team I was on there, uh, there was only, I think, one female developer on that team. These days, obviously, there are there are many more, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that our, our teams are kinder and more thoughtful than they were um, ever having. Certainly, a lot more healthy. I, I do remember at, at Sophos where where you and I met, and you'd see some people that were in it like ridiculously early, and you'd midnight they'd be like, "Okay, you have to shut the building down now." Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, God, that takes me back. Going out and having cigarettes with the security guard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cigarettes with Matt. Thankfully, you and I have both kicked that habit. Long yeah, ago. yeah, um, that's a that's a long time ago now. Yes. Thankfully, I think we're we're both a bit healthier <laughs> for for that. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the industry. I think, like you said, it, there's been some improvements socially. Um, where do you think we could improve? Yeah, I think that's a tough one. Um, I think you know, technology has always been a, a great enabler, and you know that's why I learned to program in the first place. I wanted to use computers to make life better. Um, I'm not sure if I ever succeeded in that, but you know, in the early days, uh, we had to think really carefully about the resources we were con- consuming because processing power and storage and yeah. Yeah. memory were were finite and expensive and. Now we have cheap, elastic, invisible computers in the cloud and more processing power in our pockets and on our wrists than we had in entire programming labs when I was at school, um, <laughs> which is 
just incredible to think about. Uh, also shows how old I am. Um, but um, I think you know the challenge now is to use that responsibly and to to think about the kinds of data that we're collecting and why we're collecting it, how long we're storing that data for, and how securely we're storing it, um, and the power we're consuming and how we can use that less. Um, but um, yeah, and also going Water back to consumption. That, yeah. That's another. It, it brings me back to you know talking about Kirsty and her and her job. The amount of water that gets used in these data centers. Cooling. Yeah. 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 So I think you know there's there's a lot of work that we can be doing there, and you know, people look at their their cloud bills. And uh, someone was telling me recently that the best way to get developers to bring down their um, their cloud provider bills is to actually point out the resources that they're using and the, the, um, the energy that they're consuming. And that's a great motivator for, for developers these days to, oh yeah, I can, I can do a better job of that and be more Being a bit more efficient. Socially conscious or, or environmentally conscious. Mm. And, yeah. yeah. But also, you know, going back to the earlier lesson again, that you know, I think spending more time with the people who interact with our tech and understanding how we can improve their experiences. I think that's, that's um, an area where we can do a, a lot more. I see people who are consumed by notifications appearing on, on their devices. Do you need to know about that right now? Yeah. <laughs> could, that, could that wait? Hmm. And, and I think too, like back when we were, when you were starting off, it's like you built something and, and it was like, oh, that dumb end user who used it this way. And now it's more that, oh, you're using it that way. Maybe we need to do something different. You know, there's not as much hostility towards the end user, I think. Yeah, I think you know we can still get we can still get better. We're still told you're holding it wrong, but um, <laughs> but yeah, when when you when you sit down with your customer and you see the way that you know they're navigating your your software using their keyboard, and that you're, you're slowing them down because the controls are in the wrong order. Um, mm. That kind of thing. Oh yeah, I can make. I, I could save you minutes a week if I if I just make this small small tweak that will take me a minute. In, you know now. Yeah, and and that sets you up for you for future successes. Sense. Yeah, yeah. And two, I think that yeah, the again, if we go back to yeah, you know, think about when we started. You know, we talk about DevOps, and back then it was the developers built something and kind of threw it over the wall and to the testers and you know mm. and it was all that hostility maybe not hostility hostility is probably not the right word but you know it was kind of that us and them mentality it was a bit of rivalry is probably not the right word but it did feel like you were on two very different teams yeah. and there was a back and forth between the developers and the testers and let's face it we all blamed the network people anyway <laughs> <laughs> it was often their fault um <laughs> <laughs> the network is still not reliable. That's one of the one of the great fallacies. But um, yeah, I think um, going back to what I was saying earlier about learning about automated testing and and test driven develop, development, 
we're the testers now. Yeah. And the developers are the testers now. And um, you know, we, we, we learn from the people who have done that manual testing for, for years. Um, but actually having those tests in mind when you're writing your software and writing your software so that it can be tested easier leads to a better user experience, I think. And deploy easier. You know, that thing about DevOps, the whole idea is to mm. get out to production hands-free. Yeah, I remember the days of taking a, a master CD down to to Rich in the um, production room and yeah. cut, where, where he'd cut hundreds of CDs to go out in the post. Um, yeah, software production at, at, uh, at Sophos was quite the quite the experience back then. Because remember they had the vault? You had to go into the vault to get everything. The, the room was like going into a safe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, we'd, we'd send people an update on CD once a month, whether they needed it or not. Yeah. Um, now you don't even notice your software being updated. Yeah. Can't remember the last time I used a CD. No, well, as I was saying to you earlier, I don't think my youngest kid Knows would what know what CD, CD is. is. Yes. Yeah, my, my kids are slightly older, so they, they grasp the idea of CDs, but like VHS cassette tapes, tapes is a, a whole foreign concept to them, and you know, media has changed quite a lot. Mm. I mean, you think about 1.4 megabyte floppies, and now we've got you know, 100 gig on a, a USB stick easily. So Yeah. Do you remember we used to have LS120 discs? Yeah, I, I remember those. Um, and the zip drive, the, the zip cartridges, yep. and, um, and magne magnetic optical discs. The, our our Japanese friend um, mm. Shige used to used to have those. The MO discs. That's right. Yeah. And I, I I don't think they ever took off outside of Japan. Japan had like their own set of technology. It seemed to go really. Stellar there, but mm. nowhere else, and uh, yeah, or video CDs too. Yes, yeah, yeah those, back before DVDs, those big twelve-inch video discs, laser discs. Oh yeah, the big laser discs. Yeah, yeah. You try telling young people today that, and they won't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't. Yeah, you can't stream the video discs. So, mm. so Australia is now your home for how many years? Gotta be close to twenty now. Uh, yeah, I think um, would it be eighteen years this year, something like that. Um, so yeah, it's kind of strange that um, you moved out here first to be with the one you loved, and uh, mm. I followed on a few years later. And uh, now you've taken your family back to the other hemisphere, and I, I'm here with an Australian family of my own. Been here longer than you were, um, yeah. but yeah, life here isn't better or worse than life in the UK it's just different and um, I'll always smile when I see a kangaroo or a kookaburra um, that's that's one of the real pleasures of being here and the, the kids have really good lives they're they're happy and they're, they're healthy and you know they spend their spare time outdoors playing football both the association and the Australian variants which I think is wonderful you know they have really active lives um, and uh, yeah I can't imagine wanting to take that away from them. Um, you know, I hope that they get 
the opportunity to live in another country in future like you and I have experienced. Mm. Um, I think it's a great way to take yourself out of your, your comfort zone and learn about being a good human. Um, but uh, yeah, this is home. I often I often recount the story. I think I was in the UK for, I think I had been there maybe two weeks or something like that, and I was sitting in the the tech support office, and I started talking about my pants, and everybody sort of bust and laugh and bust out laughing, and I was like, "What?" And I was talking about the jeans I had bought that, and yeah, pants has a very different meaning in England. Yeah, there are some cultural differences. I also remember from my first trip to Australia with you, and uh, we were going to um, the casino over here in yep. in Burswood, and now uh, the Crown Casino. And uh, your lovely wife had uh, said to us, "Ah, oh, you need you need to dress up nicely." Uh, to to go to the casino, and you can't wear thongs and. Uh, <laughs> That caused some consternation. Oh, what are they going to check? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's uh, that, that's one of the entertaining differences as well. Yes, um, thongs belong on your feet in, here in Australia. Yeah. Um, I had I had a list of I, I had a list of things that I I stumble on every once in a while, and it's like yeah, thongs can be underwear or worn on your feet, but not both at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Something to that effect. Yeah. Um, So one of the favorite questions I like to ask people, um, and this goes back to interviews I was doing internally at, at Amazon uh, as well, is you like, won the lottery or whatever, and you were doing something entirely different to what you're currently doing, nothing involved in tech. What would you do? What would your dream job be? I don't know. Outside of tech, um, it's really hard to say, but... Um... When I was a teenager, I used to walk past a hydrotherapy pool at the local hospital. And I used to see the smiles on the patients' faces, big glass windows as you walk past. I used to see the smiles on the patients' faces as they got into the warm water. It was really hot. It was like you could see the steam in the, in the air. And I used to think that people want to, or many people, want to retire and sit next to a swimming pool. Um, I often think how cool it would be to be a hydrotherapist getting paid to spend time in the pool and helping people to smile yeah but then your fingers would turn into dick yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd probably be a bit pruny but um it'd be an, i think that would be a nice way to spend your days Oh, you know, helping people and, you know, it's, it's the sort of thing where they hopefully feel better when they walk out. It's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a good feeling. Yeah, and it's completely unrelated to tech. Yeah. I, I, you know, I had a, I had a former boss who was saying, and I was getting involved with, I, I do this thing called Hour of Code, mm. and it's a, it's a volunteer effort, and you go into schools and you help kids understand tech and he's like, you know what, that's the stuff that's really important. The stuff we do helping multi-billion dollar corporations, yeah, I mean that's that's important too. But that stuff is really impactful and it's and you're really making a difference in people's lives. Mm. So yeah. I mean something you can do to make somebody smile, I think is uh, is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if my kids will get into into tech, but 
Uh... My son is mad into tech. Mm. In addition to, you know, we were talking earlier, in, in, in addition to history, he's like into, into tech. And you're talking about getting involved in Linux. His laptop runs Linux, and he's doing all these things. He's rebuilding computers in the house to, to run all sorts of stuff that's, I mean, he's gone beyond me in a lot of different things in, in areas in tech. And, um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it, it is interesting because they're starting at a different point than, than we started. So you'd expect that they'd overtake us pretty quickly. Mm. Um, well, high tech when we were little was, you know, Buck Rogers. And <laughs> I, I made that reference in, in a class. Uh, I was talking to school students. And I was like, ask your parent, no, ask your grandparents <laughs> what Buck Rogers is, and, they, and they'll probably know. Yeah. Seems so futuristic then, doesn't it? Yeah. And now you got. You know, phones that do everything, and it's amazing. And yeah, you, know, you can talk around the world by uh, video, video chat. So. Yeah, yeah. And you were the one of the first people I knew to use video chat. Yeah, you were. You were, I, we were, you were certainly the first person I knew to have a webcam. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes. Well, because you know, Ent was. Uh, in Australia, and I was in England at the time, and so it was our it was our only way of communication. So, yeah, yeah. that and long distance phone calls that really racked up the bills. Ooh, so. Yeah, having to buy international calling cards to to <laughs> save yourself a few a few pence. I remember we I remember yeah signing up for different services to try to get the lowest rate to call because you know it was outrageously expensive back then. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah, these days we just take voice over IP as granted, granted, yeah. Yeah, and everyone has a multiple webcams. Skype or Zoom or, yeah, I mean, your laptop is a webcam. Actually, you spend more time now trying to block it out just in case somebody hacks into it. Mm. Yeah. So, what would you say... I mean, yeah, you spent a lot of time in the UK. What's your favourite memory of the UK? That's a big one. Um, <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to pick a, a favourite memory of the Okay, what's the your favourite memory of the two years that we spent together? You know, <laughs> I think it was probably learning about what my memory should have been. Um, such, such as the, uh, the the time that I tried to take a shortcut to your house, and um, there is no shortcut between the place that you were living in, and yeah, yeah. But Pete got into a fight with the pavement and lost. <laughs> yeah, I um, I, I tripped over a, a wire fence and uh, ended up going face down, and ended up on your on your doorstep some time later, <laughs> and. Uh, out came our, our, our mutual friend Roy wearing a towel. <laughs> he says, to me, "Oh, who did that to your face?" He's like, "I'll go and get him." I was like, "You're not gonna, you're not gonna get into a fight with the pavement wearing a towel." Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, they they were they were good days. They, 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 they was, they, it was. They, seeing, seeing in the like I said earlier, the the, the turn of the millennium um, and that. That 
that feeling of hope of what 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 was to come um yeah and just uh, having my eyes opened uh, on what a wide world we live in i remember you coming to australia australia seemed like such a long way away and um you know just this otherworldly kind of place that you were you you were going to and now it's now it's my home and it, it mm. um um makes me smile you know when i get reminders that i live on the other side of the planet that from from where i grew up um you know it makes me smile to think you know we've got all these opportunities available to us and our, you know the kids have mm. have all these opportunities available to them too um yeah so not really a memory as such but more uh, facing forwards uh, thinking about the the good things that are still to come mm. well pete it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast uh thanks for for spending the last oh 40 odd minutes chatting with me and and the rest of the weekend it's gone very quickly yeah. and uh yeah i will We'll publish this and get you on the podcast. Fantastic. Thanks a lot. No, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Basement Programmer Podcast. I really appreciate you tuning in. And if you have any feedback or comments, of course, send me an email. Also, please consider subscribing. It lets me know that you're enjoying this production. I'm looking forward to you joining me for the next episode of the Basement Programmer Podcast. In the meantime, take care, stay safe, and keep learning.